What's up, everybody? Jeremy Weiss here with Weiss Tech Hockey, and I am actually just sitting here shaking my head at uh, something I just read online. And th this is going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. Um, and, uh, you know, something I think definitely we need to talk about, think about, and, um, you know, kind of, you know, at least acknowledge and figure out. But, um, so it's, it's kind of a long story how I got to this, but I'm going to be doing some, some material coming up. Um, on women's hockey. I've had a lot of requests from, from our readers, our listeners on, uh, you know, addressing some of the differences and some of the stuff that goes on in women's hockey. Um, you know, any coaching differences that you might need to do when you're coaching women versus men, um, systems differences, all that kind of stuff. So, um, at one point, one of my, uh, one of my readers, uh, made the question or made the comment, um, if I could address concussions in women's hockey. And that got me wondering, you know, is concussions a bigger deal in women's hockey than it is in men's hockey? Because women's hockey is is uh, no check, right? And uh, I had never seen any stats on it or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I figured I'd look into it. So I started doing some research. And here we go. This is what's going to, this is what's going to blow your mind. So I want to read you this stat. And then we're going to talk about a few other things. I want to talk really what I'm getting into here is the butterfly effect. There's a big time butterfly effect going on um, in the world of hockey. It's been going on for, uh, you know, since since the early 1900s, actually. And uh, we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to come back to kind of what my basic, my main point is of this. So um, this may take a little bit of time. So probably be one of my longer uh, sound bites, but that's fine. I think it really needs to be addressed. And I think it really needs to be thought about. So here we go. This is a study from the Mayo Clinic from 2010. Now, remember, the Mayo Clinic is the same clinic that's recommending no contact, uh, you know, no body checking for 11 and 12 year olds. Um, you know, their studies and their results are some of the things that have have uh, really influenced what our rulemaking and our legislation, legislative, um, you know, bodies in both Hockey Canada, Hockey, uh, hockey uh, USA Hockey and Hockey Canada, um, you know, pushing back the checking age and all this stuff. They've, they've got people, you know, almost freaked out. They're running scared. So this is a study from the Mayo Clinic. And here we go. Women's ice hockey was reported as one of the most dangerous sports in the NCAA, as the concussion rate is 2.72 per 1,000 playing hours. Even though men's ice hockey allows body checking, which is illegal in the women's game, the rate of concussions for men is 46% lower at 1.47 per 1,000 player hours. So I'm just going to let that sink in for just a second. Women's hockey, NCAA hockey, so we're talking good High quality level hockey here. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have watched some high quality college hockey. You know that the NCAA level is a high quality game at both men's and women's levels. And women's concussion in the no check version of the game, women's concussions is, or men's concussions is 46% lower than women's concussions. And men are playing the checking game. So that leads me to the question. Why are we making such a big deal over checking? I don't think that checking is the problem. So we're going to go through, I want to talk about this butterfly effect. And I'm not going to pretend to be like a, a major historical, uh, you know, histor history buff on the, on the game. Um, although I do like it, you know, so I have studied a little bit of the history of the game. And, um, you know, some of it's from personal observations is growing up playing the game and watching it. Some of it's from, uh, you know, stuff that I've 
that I've studied. Um, I believe that studying the history of the game gives you a pretty good idea of where it's moving forward and what's going to happen. And, um, you know, that can help you in a lot of different ways. It can help you with your coaching. Uh, it can help you with, uh, you know, your training style, how you're training your players. So there's a lot of different ways why, why I think studying the history of the game can be beneficial for the future of the game. But let's jump back. Let's go way back in time. We're going to go to uh, the early 1900s. Um, believe it or not, a lot of, I didn't really realize this. A lot of people don't realize it. The forward pass was not allowed in hockey up until about the, uh, I think about the 1920s-ish. So around the 1920s, and there, were, there was a division. There was a division in Eastern and, and Western Canada. And the Western Canadians uh, started their own league and uh, decided to allow the forward pass. So before that, it was um, very similar to rugby. You know, you could have lateral passes, but no forward passes. So that, that had a, a completely different style of, of game than, uh, you know, than what we're accustomed to seeing today. So in the 1920s, um, the Western Canadian hockey league, I don't know what it was called at the time, but uh, that Canadian group, I forget what it was called. I, I knew it at one point, but uh, they started allowing the forward pass. And it got to a point where these two professional leagues wanted to have a playoff. And this, I thought this was interesting, but, um, you know, they, they played, and I think it was, I can't remember where the two teams were from. I think one was from BC and one was from Toronto. And um, so they they split the playoff games. Half the games they allowed the forward pass and half they didn't. And uh, believe it or not, I think Toronto won it the first year. Um, and then the second time they played, I think the BC team won it. But um, it was almost one of these experiments where the the fans and the players, everybody got to see, got to see and experience both styles of play. And, uh, you know, they decided to go ahead and allow the forward pass. So that rule change changed drastically changed the the way the game was played the game stayed fairly stable i think for for about the next 40 to 50 years and obviously hockey is known as a tough man sport um i don't think there was too many major equipment changes over that time period um you know i mean even up until kind of the mid 80s early 90s people were still using wood sticks the, the production got a little bit better if you've ever gone to the hockey hall of fame you can see some of the old equipment they use but uh you know it was known known for a tough man sport you know stitches broken bones um, all that stuff. And it was a very self-regulating sport, you know? So if you got out of line, you knew somebody was going to, you know, probably come in and handle it for you. Um, in about the, I guess the, it probably would have been about the seventies or eighties is when fighting started really being paid attention to. And I, I actually remember some of these big brawls that happened, um, you know, in the early eighties where, you know, I remember, I don't remember the two teams, but I remember they, they tried turning off the lights in the stadium um, to try to get the, the teams to stop fighting, you know, and you see old clips of, of different, uh, you know, different teams, different junior teams having just full on bench brawls, uh, people climbing into the audience to, uh, you know, to, to fight this, to fight the fans. Um, so it, you know, I'm not saying that I'm against the, um, crackdown on fighting that occurred, but, um, you know, it, it did definitely play a role. So, so basically kind of the late eighties, early nineties, they decided to crack down on fighting. Uh, you may remember watching the games and as soon as a fight would break out, they'd immediately turn the camera over to the bench or to someone in the audience or whatever. They were really trying to make a conscious effort to not glorify the fighting. But what did you see? What happened from that point? Well, we started to see an increase in clutch and grab. So if, you know, if, if you're not going to be, um, you know, you're really not going to be able to fight, then you're going to, the stick work's going to improve or going to increase. And so we saw the increase in clutch and grab towards the mid to late 90s, right? Well, then what happened? Everybody starts complaining, oh, the game's too slow. 
You know, we got to speed up the game. We got to get more scoring. Game's too slow. So what they decide to do, and you, you'll definitely remember this. This is our current era now, right? Um, crack down on clutch and grab. So now, um, you know, we tried to keep fighting down. Uh, clutch and grab increase. We try to keep the clutch and grab to a minimum. We remove the two-line pass, so now players can get even more speed going up ice. And what happens? Well, the game speeds up. The game speeds up. That's what we wanted, right? Well, that's great. The game speeds up. Over this whole period of time, obviously, there's been some some major developments and improvements in um, skating technique and development, and you know, it's becoming a more sophisticated development uh, style of game anyways. Um, and players are becoming bigger and faster and stronger, better workout programs, better off ice training, all that stuff. <clears throat> so the game speeds up. And what do we see? Now that the game has sped up, now that there's no clutch and grab, the players are forced now to actually learn to hit properly. <laughs> so now we start seeing these nice, clean, hard hits and they increase, right? So we have more speed. We have cleaner contact because there's not so much clutch and grab. More speed because there's not so much clutch and grab. We have players going faster and being forced to hit cleaner, not having them hook and hold and just, you know, angle them off and, you know, ride them all the way into the corner. It's a, now it's instead, it's an impact. It's boom. You're coming across my blue line. You're going to get hit. Boom. And because of all this, <clears throat> it's not just your typical body check. It's harder. It's harder impact. Okay. Well, what starts happening? Um, fights start increasing again, right? So now we've got kind of this <clears throat> double-sided coin where this is really what the media is attacking is the hitting and the fighting. Um, <clears throat> so fights start going back up again. Um, and, and you know, you like I said before, you combine this with better players, better uh, skills, faster, um, you know, more room because now there's not the two-line pass anymore. And the fact that they're cutting down on all the clutch and grab. And so, so what happens? So boom, all of a sudden, concussions go up, right? And I think it's probably a combination of not only concussions going up, but I think we're recognizing them more or or um, classifying them as concussions more often than before. So I don't know if that's exactly, I, I know I everybody's got a different opinion on this and I'm not gonna jump into that debate here, but um, diagnosed concussions have increased. We don't know if that's just, there's more being diagnosed um, or what, <clears throat> but I'd, I'd say it's probably safe to say that we've had an increase in concussions. So what they start trying to do? Well, they start trying to, tar you know, attack the head targeting, right? Well, he targeted the head. We got to crack down on anything that makes the head the principal point of contact. And so they cracked down on that. Did concussions stop? No, they didn't. In fact, I think I may be wrong on this. So don't quote me, but I think I saw a stat at one point where um, after the, the crackdown on head targeting, concussions actually still increased the next year. So um, less hard. It's, it's still what we're doing is we're taking and we're actually just refining and refining and refining what's actually going on with these hits. And it's making it so that instead of just a, you know, a sloppy hit or a, a partial hit or a hit from two players that have been slowed down from cl clutch and grab, now it's just these clean, just boom, shoulder to chest, head snap back, hit, you know, hit the ice hard at full speed, you know, with two players that are going, you know, faster than they used to be going, probably bigger, more size, more uh, mass than they used to have. And it's just, we're, we're creating this perfect storm and it all starts with, tweaking the rules, tweaking the stuff that's going on in the past. 
And we try, it's like we're putting band-aids on. It's it's like Bugs Bunny. It's like Bugs Bunny. I'm sure you guys have seen this, where the Bugs Bunny stand at the bottom of a dam and uh, a, a hole springs in the dam, so he sticks his finger in it, right? Well, as soon as he plugs that hole, boom, all of a sudden another one. And so he sticks his other finger in that hole. And pretty soon he's got all, all 10 fingers and all 10 toes plugging different holes in the dam, but they just keep, you know, it, it keeps spurting and spurting more holes. And this is what we're doing. So what's the real problem? So, you know, I've, I've had, I've been thinking about this for a long time and I've had this butterfly effect. I've noticed it was, I had a conversation with a friend a long time ago that was asking me about this. And, and, uh, that was the first time I really kind of verbalized it. But what I started realizing when I read this stat, <clears throat> going back to that original stat about women's hockey, checking is not the issue. Fighting is not the issue. Now in this, in this, um, the same thing. Remember, this is the Mayo Clinic. These are the guys that are making all these recommendations to stop having body checking in youth hockey. In the exact same year that they published this or that they, that they made that recommendation, um, which now has come to pass in a lot of places. Um, so this is again, this is all 2010. In this same report, we see this. Let me just take two seconds to pull this up. They ask the question, how is it that a sport that does not allow body checking should have such a high concussion rate? Uh, and then I won't be able to pronounce this right, but it's, I think it's Mihalik, Mihalik. Uh, he's one of the main, uh, one of the main scientists on this project said that the phenomenon was still under study, but it may have to do with women not anticipating a hit. Studies in men's and boys hockey show that the greatest risk of concussions occurs in unanticipated hits. And in women's hockey, players may never anticipate a hit. So, if the real problem is the unanticipated hit, then does creating an atmosphere where the players spend the first 14 years of their lives, or I guess to be fair, let's say the first 9 or 10 years of their playing career, not being hit, is that going to solve the problem by the time they get to be Bantams? And I would say the answer is a flat out no. Now they go into other possible explanations that women's have weak, women have uh, weaker muscle or weaker neck muscles, um, which allows their head to snap back and, you know, different, different, um, you know, possible explanations. But they, they, credit the main explanation to being unanticipated hits. And I think that that's the same thing. I think that's the same thing we're seeing in the NHL. Players say, well, he can't target my head, so I'm safe. You know, I, I did a dissection on the uh, Eller hit. Um, I think it probably was a couple of years ago now. I can't remember exactly when that was. Uh, Griba, I think it was, and Eller. You can look it up on Facebook. But, uh, and I, man, I think it was Eller being hit. I can't remember. Um, but uh, the guy being hit, I'm pretty sure it was Eller, was flat out looking behind him to receive a check. Now, I say, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. Again, this is a this is this is not just a quick fix band aid type of thing. This isn't just plugging your plugging your plugging the dam with your finger. This has to go back to like early, early, early hockey. Be expecting to be hit. Learn how to take a hit. Learn how to give a hit. You know, I think there's no problem with teaching proper body contact fundamentals at the young ages because the biggest problem is players not anticipating the hit and i think that there's a bit of a, a spoon-fed mentality in a lot of the young players these days where they think if it's against the rule it's not going to happen to them 
um, or they think they have some, uh, you know, God-given right to walk up the ice with their head down. And these fundamentals, these skating fundamentals, these puck handling fundamentals, you need to be able to control the puck while still having, uh, you know, a good vision of everything that's going on around you. Before you even receive the puck, a good hockey player should know, you know, where's the pass being made from? What direction am I facing? How's my body positioning? Are there any possible attackers that are going to hit me as, you know, as soon as I touch the puck? And you need to be able and willing to let a suicide pass go if needs be to protect yourself. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff, probably more stuff than we need to get into uh, in this one. I know we've already gone pretty far or pretty long, but there's a lot of stuff, you know, knowing your size, knowing your height. Um, you know, if you're a shorter player, then you know, you have to know. I, I knew this and I'm, I'm five, six, five, seven on a tall day. But my head is at shoulder height to most of the bigger players. And so, so I have to know that. And I can't take that for granted. I have to know that just by nature of my size difference, most hits are going to be head contact for me most of the time. And so what do I need to do? I need to know when I'm about to be hit. I need to get my body in proper position. I need to get my hands up if that's what it's going to be to protect myself. You know, I, w- I went through fairly high levels of hockey without too much problem. Um, in fact, the only real concussion I had, I actually, it was self-inflicted. I won't tell that whole story right now, but it was just a stupid thing that I did, um, you know, playing without a face mask and, and didn't hit the other player properly. I ended up banging my face on his face mask. I tried to step up on a player that had had his cage on and I didn't have a cage on and I went face contact with his cage. So A, it was an improper hit. B, it was an improper situation. And it was a, a stupid play on my part, my own fault. I'm not blaming the game or blaming checking for that. I did it to myself because of my own stupidity as, a, as an 18-year-old kid. And so that's what I think the stuff that we need to be teaching. We need to focus on the proper issues at hand. We need to focus on the root cause of what's going on. And I don't think that pushing the checking age back another year or two years is the answer to what the real root of the problem is. And this stat 100% proves it. If you can take and have and have 46% fewer concussions in the men's game, which allows checking, than you do at the women's game, which doesn't allow checking, then checking is not the cause of the problem. That's just all there is to it. And we need to figure out what is. And I, I do believe that there is some credibility to this notion of un, uh, unanticipated hits. And so what's the answer? Well, I think there's probably a number of different speculations on what could be a po- possible answer. If you've listened to me for any amount of time, you probably know my answer is let the kids start hitting before they're big enough and strong enough to actually hurt each other, which is as soon as they start playing. You know, I mean, you see it all the time. You see accidental hits from behind straight into the boards at the at, at the six-year-old level, right? Two players are going for the puck. One guy maybe, maybe uh, bites an edge. He's on his way down. The other player happens to bump him, and, and they both go face first into the boards, and they both get up, and they're both fine, right? You see that over and over. Um, now, I'm sure you could probably pick out and say, oh, well, I know so-and-so who was six years old and he got in concussion. Yeah, it's there's going to be issues. There's going to be instances. But by and large, the body contact that goes on at the six- and seven-year-old age groups is not going to be hard enough, strong enough, or fast enough to do any any damage, um, you know, as far as concussions goes. But what does it do? What is What are the benefits of allowing it that early? Well, the coaches will feel less handcuffed. They'll be able to actually teach their players. And if we focus our education or focus our priorities on teaching the coaches how to teach, 
and making sure that these players get accustomed to body contact, to feeling. What does it feel like to have a you know shoulder-on-shoulder shoulder hit? What does it feel like to run into somebody? What does it feel like to be run into? How do you protect yourself if you're against the boards? <clears throat> All these things can be taught. Absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, can be taught. I believe it. I've taught it. I've seen it. I've seen it taught. I've experienced it as a player. And it's just uh, it's just flat out the truth. So as I always say, that is my two cents worth on this. But um, you know the the stat. I just I can't believe that the same this in the same year the same organization that would publish this finding would also recommend pushing the age back. Um, you know, and we know that you know less than five years later the age has been pushed back in a number of different organizations. I just don't, it's, we're fighting the wrong battle. We're going, we're going the wrong direction. Um, you know, our, our kids need to be held accountable for their stupid mistakes because every kid makes stupid mistakes. Like I said before, I made a stupid mistake that cost me a concussion. We need to be held accountable for that. We, we, we can't always say, oh, it's the guy that hit his fault. He, it was a bad hit. He, he targeted my head. He hit me when I wasn't looking. You should be looking. You should always know. You should have on ice awareness. And, um, you know, and, and man, I could go on all day about this. I just, I just really have issues with it. Um, but yeah, if, if it were a perfect world, my recommendation would be all recreational level hockey is always non-check always. So house league hockey from, you know, from six years old up through, you know, through however old you want to call it up till men's league, recreational hockey, house hockey is non-check. Uh, on the flip side, rep hockey or travel hockey or, you know, tiered hockey, AAA, AAA, select hockey, anything like that should always be contact or checking allowed, right? Um, and I think that that would really get your your elite level players, I think that would get them into the mindset and, and understanding the the reads and reacts, the recognitions, the feel of what it feels like to be hit and to deliver a hit cleanly and safely and i think that that would make it a, a much easier transition as i mean it's it's not even a transition it's a natural flow from one phase to the next as the players start getting bigger it's still the same game it's not like okay now now that i'm six foot you know 180 pounds now i can start hitting people and now it's just man you're just you're just pushing back it's just i, I just see it I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how all the stats come out, but I don't see it ending well. But anyways, like I said, that's my two cents worth. But uh, take a look at those stats again. It's from the Mail Clinic, uh, 2010. I don't have, uh, obviously this is audio, so I don't have a link, but uh, I'll see if I can put a link to this article that references the Mail Clinic in uh, maybe in the description of this of this audio, and then you can take a look. But uh, But yeah. Take it for what it's worth. Consider it though. But I think, you know, I, I'm making a prediction, you know, looking at the past, looking at the future. I think that we're not solving the problem of concussions. I really don't. I think we're putting a band-aid on a gushing open wound. That's not the right band-aid. It's, we're not attacking the root. We're attacking the symptom and, uh, it's just going to get bigger because we're not addressing it properly. Have a good night. <laughs>